Decision podcasts by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by VoicePods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at NIPT Law. www.nypti.org slash law. People v. Mohamed Tiam, decided October 29, 2019. Memorandum. The order of the appellate term should be affirmed. Even if the accusatory instrument properly sets out a lower grade offense, a defendant's challenge to a conviction based on the jurisdictional deficiency of a higher grade crime of a multi-count complaint is not waived by the defendant's guilty plea. The appellate term properly reversed the judgment of conviction and sentence on the ground that it was jurisdictionally defective as to the crime of which defendant was actually convicted. DeFiori, Chief Judge, concurring. The issue presented by this appeal is whether a local court has the authority to accept a guilty plea to a jurisdictionally defective top count of a multi-count misdemeanor accusatory instrument wherein counts of lesser grade offenses are sufficiently pleaded. I would hold that it does not. I. On June 24, 2016, defendant was charged by a three-count misdemeanor accusatory instrument with criminal possession of a controlled substance in the seventh degree, criminal possession of marijuana in the fifth degree and unlawful possession of marijuana. In the accusatory instrument, the arresting officer alleged, based on his personal knowledge, that at about 3.30 p.m., at the southwest corner of Broadway and West 29th Street in the county and state of New York, the defendant knowingly and unlawfully possessed a controlled substance, and the defendant knowingly and unlawfully possessed marijuana in a public place and such was burning or open to public view. In support of the marijuana counts, the officer alleged that he knew the substance was marijuana based on his training and experience, as well as the odor, the packaging, and a field test. In support of the criminal possession of a controlled substance count, the officer alleged he recovered eight pills from the right front pocket of defendant's pants and that he recognized the pills as oxycodone based on his professional training and prior experience in making drug arrests. At defendant's arraignment in criminal court, defense counsel stated that he thought the accusatory instrument was facially deficient because there were insufficient facts alleging that the marijuana crime occurred in a public place and an insufficient basis for the officer's conclusion that the pills he seized were oxycodone. Defense counsel, nonetheless, did not move to dismiss the accusatory instrument or any count therein pursuant to CPL 170.30 or CPL 170.35. Rather, counsel asked asked the court to consider a sentence of time served, the court then inquired, despite the allegation that defendant was at the southwest corner of Broadway and West 29th Street, whether the people were going to move to amend the complaint to state that the specified location was a public sidewalk, they responded that they could not amend the factual portion of the complaint without the verification of the deponent, i.e., the arresting officer. After the court indicated its willingness to impose a sentence of time served, defendant waived his right to prosecution by information and and pleaded guilty to the top count of the accusatory instrument, the A misdemeanor of criminal possession of a controlled substance in the seventh degree, and the sentence of time served was imposed.
On appeal, defendants sought dismissal of the accusatory instrument on the basis that it was jurisdictionally defective due to insufficient factual allegations in violation of CPL 100.40. Despite his failure to seek dismissal in the court of first instance, the appellate term reversed, holding that the misdemeanor complaint was jurisdictionally defective because the arresting officer's allegation that he believed the pills in defendant's possession were oxycodone was conclusory and insufficient to establish reasonable cause to believe that defendant was guilty of criminal possession of a controlled substance in the seventh degree, the court, rather than remanding the case to the local court for further proceedings on the valid counts of the accusatory instrument, dismissed the entire instrument, as a matter of discretion in the interest of justice, observing that, since defendant had completed his sentence, there would be no penological purpose served by such a remand. A judge of this court granted the people leave to appeal. 2. A local court accusatory instrument consists of two parts, an accusatory part containing the legal allegations of the offences charged, concededly sufficient in this case and a factual part that is the focus of this appeal, to pass muster as a legally sufficient accusatory instrument, the sworn factual allegations in the instrument combined with supporting depositions must provide reasonable cause to believe that the defendant committed the offence charged in the accusatory part of such instrument, the allegations in the factual portion must be in substantial compliance with the requirements of CPL 100.15, in that the allegations must provide facts of an evidentiary character supporting or tending to support the charges. The test for facial sufficiency is, simply, whether the accusatory instrument failed to supply defendant with sufficient notice of the charged crime to satisfy the demands of due process and double jeopardy. A misdemeanor accusatory instrument that fails to state a crime or fails to recite each element of the offense is jurisdictionally defective and a guilty plea does not waive the right to challenge the accusatory instrument on this ground for the first time on direct appeal. However, a defendant who elects to plead guilty forfeits the right to appellate review of any non-jurisdictional defects in the proceedings, quoting People v. Fernandez. Since a voluntary and knowing guilty plea generally removes the issue of factual guilt from a case, issues that do not impact the jurisdiction of the court or impinge on rights of constitutional dimension, do not survive the entry of the judgment. Notably, in the felony context, a defendant's guilty plea waives any argument as to the sufficiency of the evidence presented to the grand jury. Further, an indictment is facially jurisdictionally defective only if it fails to effectively charge the defendant with the commission of a particular crime i.e., if the acts alleged do not constitute an offense or if the indictment fails to allege a material element of the crime. Where a local court accusatory instrument containing factual allegations of every element of the crime contains only conclusory factual allegations of an item of contraband, such as an illegal drug or weapon, we have held that the conclusory description of the contraband is a jurisdictional defect. Specifically, the conclusory allegations are considered insufficient to satisfy the requirement for factual allegations of an evidentiary character. Here, defendant waived prosecution by information, and our review is limited to reviewing the sufficiency of the misdemeanor complaint under the reasonable cause standard. In People v. Drayden, although we observed that the distinction between jurisdictional and non-jurisdictional defects is between defects implicating the integrity of the process, and less fundamental flaws, such as evidentiary or technical matters, we held that the arresting officer's conclusory allegations that the weapon in defendant's possession was a gravity knife was a violation of the reasonable cause requirement amounting to a jurisdictional defect. 
On the other hand, in Aragon, we held that the officer's observation of metal knuckles, an object whose character was evident on its face did not require the officer's allegation that professional skill or expertise supported the conclusion. On this appeal, the people do not challenge the appellate term's conclusion that the arresting officer's allegation, based on his professional training and experience as a police officer, of a reasonable belief that the eight pills recovered from defendant's right front pants pocket were oxycodone, was facially insufficient. Clearly, where the defendant has waived prosecution by information and therefore has assented to the more lenient reasonable cause standard, these legal and factual allegations are sufficient to particularize the crime charged and protect against a constitutional double jeopardy violation. Given that the people are not contesting the insufficiency of the A misdemeanor count, we have no basis to review that determination and, instead, address the people's argument that, because there was a jurisdictionally sufficient B misdemeanor count in the multi-count accusatory instrument, the court could accept a plea bargain whereby defendant enters a guilty plea to an insufficiently pleaded misdemeanor count of higher grade. First, defendant's novel argument that his conviction was jurisdictionally defective because the local court lacked subject matter jurisdiction over the offense for which he was convicted is without merit. The jurisdiction of the New York City Criminal Court is established in the state constitution. The court of city-wide criminal jurisdiction of the City of New York shall have jurisdiction over crimes and other violations of law, other than those prosecuted by indictment. Here, the plea court had jurisdiction of the offense charged and acquired jurisdiction of defendant's person by the filing of a complaint and an appearance by defendant. The more apt question is whether the legally sufficient B misdemeanor count in the same accusatory instrument provided the court of first instance with authority to accept a plea bargain to an invalid count of a higher grade offense, which the appellate term found was never legally charged. 3. In New York, felony prosecutions are subject to express constitutional procedural restrictions pursuant to Article 1, Section 6 of the State Constitution as well as legislatively enacted procedures set forth in the CPL. By contrast, procedures for local court accusatory instruments are legislatively delineated in the CPL, and, quite importantly, criminal defendants also enjoy Sixth Amendment protections including the right to a jury trial for felony and other serious crimes, including class A misdemeanors, defendants, in waiving guaranteed rights and entering counseled guilty pleas in exchange for favorable sentences, are not without recourse in narrow circumstances to raise for the first time on appeal fundamental defects in the plea process which are clear on the face of the record. It is axiomatic that when a defendant waives the fundamental right to a jury trial, due process demands that the waiver be knowing and voluntary, equally so, plea bargaining, presuppose s fairness in securing agreement between an accused and a prosecutor, and the adjudicative element inherent in accepting a plea of guilty, must be attended by safeguards to ensure the defendant what is reasonably due in the circumstances. Plea bargain agreements have defined parameters, the court provides a check on the plea process, ensuring the balance between the interests of the defendant and the government, as well as preventing inequity that may arise through abuse of the process, limitations created by the legislature to essentially curb certain reduced plea bargain agreements to indictments are set forth in CPL 220.10, under that statute, for a multi-count indictment, a defendant can plead guilty to the entire indictment, a particular count or counts, 
or, with the permission of the court and the consent of the people, a lesser included offense of a charged offense in a particular count. Point four these statutory requirements are applicable to the extent that they can be so applied to guilty pleas to misdemeanor informations and complaints. In Kaiser, we held that, where there was a jurisdictionally sufficient accusatory instrument, a claim of error based on a guilty plea in violation of CPL 220.10 to a crime that is of a lesser grade, but not a lesser included offense of a crime charged in the accusatory instrument was forfeited by the guilty plea, such a reduced plea bargain poses no constitutional impediment and presents no statutory noncompliance rising to the level of a jurisdictional defect. Unlike the present case, in Kaiser, the plea bargain allowed defendant to plead guilty in satisfaction of a jurisdictionally sufficient count and to an offense that was of a lesser grade than the valid count in the accusatory instrument. Under these circumstances, although the defendant in Kaiser pleaded guilty to a crime that was never legally or factually pleaded pursuant to Corporal 100.40 or 100.15 in the instrument, there was no fundamental defect in the process, as he was lawfully charged with a higher crime and thus no jurisdictional impediment to the court's acceptance of that plea bargain to a lesser offense. Significantly, People v. Hightower presented the same fundamental defect that we now address, as relevant here, the defendant in, Hightower was charged by local court accusatory instrument with the A misdemeanor of petty larceny and the B misdemeanor of unauthorized sale of certain transportation services, he pleaded guilty to the petty larceny count in satisfaction of all charges, we held that the accusatory instrument was jurisdictionally defective as to the crime of which defendant was actually convicted, petty larceny, in that it was not properly pleaded pursuant to CPL 100.40 or 100.15 because it failed to provide reasonable cause to believe defendant committed that offense, although we specifically concluded that the factual allegations in a separate count of the information were sufficient to provide reasonable cause to believe the defendant committed the lesser B misdemeanor, we reversed the conviction and dismissed the accusatory instrument. While we did not specifically state that the validly pleaded B misdemeanor count could not serve as the basis for the court to accept a guilty plea to the defective, higher grade a misdemeanor count, that is the import of the reversal of the conviction point five and, that conclusion is in keeping with our prior precedent that a defendant must be legally charged in the accusatory instrument with a crime of a higher degree than an offense which was not legally charged and for which the guilty plea is entered. Indeed, we have upheld the validity of a bargain for guilty plea to a technically non-existent offense, attempted manslaughter in the second degree, where the plea was taken in satisfaction of an indictment charging a crime carrying a heavier penalty. In such case, there is no violation of defendant's right to due process, stated otherwise, where the defendant seeks to resolve a misdemeanor action by a reduced plea bargain and agrees to plead guilty to a lesser offense as part of a bargain which was struck for his or her benefit there is no jurisdictional or constitutional invalidity in the plea to a technically non-existent offense in satisfaction of a valid charge, although there would be a statutory invalidity in felony cases. Determinatively to the case at hand, we have held that a court does not have the authority to accept a guilty plea to a count that is of a higher grade than any valid count in the accusatory instrument. We have only considered this fundamental defect in the framework of a felony prosecution. 
In concluding that it is a jurisdictional defect in that context, we observed that the protections of Article 1, Section 6 of the State Constitution relating to the Court's authority to try felony offenses only upon a grand jury indictment is not a limitation directed to the courts, but rather to the state, and its function is to prevent prosecutorial excess. Similarly, a defendant cannot plead to account in a superior court information that charges an offense of a higher grade than an offense charged in the felony complaint for which the defendant was held for the action of the grand jury and waived prosecution by indictment. Although misdemeanor prosecutions are not governed by that state constitutional provision, they can certainly implicate Sixth Amendment protections and our state due process concerns as the waiver of the jury trial must be knowingly and voluntarily entered. Accordingly, there is no cognizable basis to disregard the same fundamental unfairness presented by such lopsided plea bargains, where a defendant is actually pleading guilty to a greater crime than that legally charged by the state. Nor is there any reason to ignore public policy concerns of prosecutorial overreaching in a criminal action commenced by a local court accusatory instrument. Akin to Kaiser, the question ultimately presented is whether, despite the court's jurisdiction over defendant's prosecution, the authority to accept the guilty plea was subsequently abrogated based on the guilty plea to an offense of a higher grade than any jurisdictionally sufficient count in the accusatory instrument. The answer is yes, the court's authority was abrogated by its acceptance of a guilty plea to an misdemeanor that was not properly charged by the people in the accusatory instrument in violation of defendant's right to due process. A guilty plea to a defective top count of a multi-count misdemeanor complaint, without an equal grade offense properly pleaded, lacks the hallmarks of essential fairness and amounts to an unfair bargain. It is well settled that plea bargaining is a vital part of our criminal justice system. In addition to permitting a substantial conservation of prosecutorial and judicial resources, it provides a means where, by mutual concessions, the parties may obtain a prompt resolution of criminal proceedings with all the benefits that inure from final disposition. This process is typically a mutually beneficial exercise and, as a result, a defendant forfeits the right to appellate review of most flaws in the process after receiving the benefit of the bargain struck by the parties. However, defendant's guilty plea to a higher grade offense than any offense legally charged in the accusatory instrument is not a bargain struck for his benefit, does not comport with due process, and negatively impacts the basic fairness of the criminal justice system. In short, it is a fundamental flaw in the process, as defendant waived his guaranteed rights, including the right to a jury trial, and was convicted of an misdemeanor despite the fact that he was not legally charged with such a serious crime. There is a legitimate concern that defendants charged in multi-count local court accusatory instruments should not be able to thwart the system by obtaining a swift and favorable plea agreement, only to belatedly raise a jurisdictional challenge on direct appeal to the sufficiency of the factual allegations of one count in the instrument in order to seek a dismissal by the intermediate appellate court of the whole instrument in the interest of justice, as the legislative scheme strongly favors an amendment of factual allegations of the defective count, as opposed to dismissal of the entire proceeding, it is worth restating that the alleged pleading defects were brought to the party's attention in this case, whereupon the people noted that they were unable to amend the accusatory instrument to cure the defect in the absence of the deponent before the plea was quickly entered and sentence imposed. To avoid such gamesmanship, the proper corrective remedy, plainly afforded by CPL 470.55, is a remittal to the trial court for further proceedings on the accusatory instrument. The criminal action is then restored to pre 
depleting status and, in so doing, the people may have the opportunity to properly replete the defective count. Nonetheless, we must acknowledge that the plea bargaining process so integral to our system has both federal and state constitutional safeguards to protect a defendant who is waiving guaranteed rights and must be fundamentally fair. A judge, a prosecutor and a defendant cannot by agreement restructure substantive law to fit their notion of what is more appropriate in a particular case. The requirement of providing a properly pleaded accusatory instrument rests with the people and it is not an undue burden to ensure that a plea bargain does not entail a conviction for a crime of a great offense higher than one sufficiently charged in the local court accusatory instrument. Fahi, J. Concurring. A challenge to the sufficiency of an accusatory instrument under CPL 100.40 survives a guilty plea in certain narrow circumstances delineated in our precedents. We have characterized such circumstances as involving a jurisdictional defect in the instrument. In doing so, we have invoked a court's jurisdiction over the offense of which the defendant has been convicted, not its jurisdiction over the defendant's person. This appeal poses the question whether, as the people maintain, a conceded jurisdictional defect in a charge contained in a misdemeanor complaint is cured by the fact that a separate charge in the same complaint is jurisdictionally sound. Because the people's contention lacks merit, I vote to affirm the order of the appellate term. I take no position on the question whether a due process challenge to defendant's plea based on the plea bargaining statute CPL 220.104 would have survived his plea. This issue was not raised by either party at the appellate term, and the parties in their briefs before this court focus on a different jurisdictional question, whether a facial sufficiency challenge under CPL 100.40 survives the plea. Nevertheless, the dissent and the concurring opinion of the chief judge address Corporal 220. This is contrary to the normal practice of this court, in making and shaping the common law having in mind the doctrine of stare decisis and the value of stability in the law this court best serves the litigants and the law by limiting its review to issues that have first been presented to and carefully considered by the, intermediate appellate court, moreover, the concurrence ignores the well-established principle of construction and interpretation that ordinarily a court will not pass on a constitutional question if there is any other way of disposing of the case. I. Defendant was charged in a misdemeanor complaint with criminal possession of a controlled substance in the seventh degree, criminal possession of marijuana in the fifth degree, and unlawful possession of marijuana. The controlled substance charge is a class A misdemeanor, while the criminal possession of marijuana and unlawful possession of marijuana charges are, respectively, a class B misdemeanor and a violation. The arresting officer alleged in the misdemeanor complaint that he had observed defendant on a particular corner of two specified streets in Midtown Manhattan, holding marijuana in a public place and open to public view. A field test confirmed that the material was marijuana. With respect to the controlled substance count, the arresting officer wrote in the complaint that he had recovered eight pills from defendant's person and that he knew that the pills were oxycodone based on his professional training as a police officer in the identification of drugs, and his prior experience as a police officer making drug arrests. The complaint made no reference to any test performed on the pills to verify the substance, and did not describe their outward appearance in any way. At arraignment in criminal court, defense counsel orally challenged both misdemeanor charges as facially insufficient. When the court offered a sentence of time served, however, defendant waived his rights to a formal allocution and to prosecution by information and pleaded guilty to the controlled substance charge in exchange for the offered sentence. 
Defendant appealed his conviction, arguing that the misdemeanor complaint was jurisdictionally defective with respect to the crime of conviction because it failed to establish reasonable cause to believe that he had possessed oxycodone rather than pills of some other kind. The complaint did not allege any facts regarding the packaging, appearance, or identifying characteristics of the pills to supplement the officer's statement about his training and experience, and was therefore insufficient to establish reasonable cause. Defendant also challenged the criminal possession of marijuana charge, on the ground that it failed to make out the public nature of the place of possession within the meaning of former Penal Law § 221.10 and Penal Law § 240.00 .Defendant did not claim that his guilty plea was in violation of CPL 220.10, the statute that governs plea bargaining. In response, the people argued that the controlled substance and criminal possession of marijuana charges were both facially sufficient. The people also maintained that the misdemeanor complaint was jurisdictionally valid as a whole because, even conceding a substantial defect in the controlled substance charge, the criminal possession of marijuana count was sufficient. The appellate term reversed the judgment of conviction and sentence, based on the jurisdictional deficiency of the controlled substance charge. The appellate court concluded that the arresting officer presented nothing more in the accusatory instrument than a conclusory statement that he used his experience and training as the foundation in drawing the conclusion that he had discovered illegal drugs, and failed to state any facts relied upon by him in reaching the conclusion that the substance seized was an illegal drug. Quote, a judge of this court granted the people leave to appeal. 2. It is well established that a valid and sufficient accusatory instrument is a non-waivable jurisdictional prerequisite to a criminal prosecution. Defendant waived his right to be prosecuted by misdemeanor information, making the facial sufficiency of the charges against him reviewable under the standard applicable to a misdemeanor complaint. The factual part of a misdemeanor complaint must allege facts of an evidentiary character demonstrating reasonable cause to believe the defendant committed the crime charged. A violation of the statutory reasonable cause requirement survives a guilty plea if the accusatory instrument fails to supply defendant with sufficient notice of the charged crime to satisfy the demands of due process and double jeopardy. For example, a misdemeanor complaint is jurisdictionally defective to the extent that, in describing the arresting officer's conclusion that defendant possessed a particular illegal substance or weapon, it fails to give any support or explanation whatsoever for the officer's belief. Such a jurisdictional challenge is not waived by a guilty plea. The people concede before this court that the violation of the reasonable cause requirement in the controlled substance count, if evaluated on its own, rises to the level of a jurisdictional deficiency. Point two instead, they assert that the appellate term erred in reversing the judgment of conviction and sentence solely on the basis that the charge of conviction was jurisdictionally defective. The people maintain that the accusatory instrument as a whole was sound and defendant's conviction should be reinstated because the instrument contained at least one facially sufficient misdemeanor charge, i.e., fifth-degree criminal possession of marijuana. For the reasons set out below, I reject the people's contentions and, along with the other judges in the majority, I conclude that the appellate term made no error. 3. The reasonable cause requirement on which defendant based his challenge to the controlled substance charge is contained in Criminal Procedure Law § 100.40 4. 
A misdemeanor complaint or a felony complaint, or account thereof, is sufficient on its face if, along with one other condition, the allegations of the factual part of such accusatory instrument and or any supporting depositions which may accompany it, provide reasonable cause to believe that the defendant committed the offense charged in the accusatory part of such instrument. As the statute makes clear, a defendant who is charged in a multi-count misdemeanor complaint may challenge the facial sufficiency of individual counts in the complaint, and the resulting judicial inquiry assesses whether the challenged counts are, when considered singly, facially sufficient. If a charge to which a defendant has pleaded guilty failed to supply sufficient notice of the basis for the charged crime to satisfy due process and double jeopardy, then upon appeal the accusatory instrument is considered jurisdictionally defective as to the crime of which defendant was convicted, and the corresponding judgment must be reversed. The defect in the individual charge is considered jurisdictional because it would be improper for any court to issue a judgment of conviction when there is a substantive deficiency in the cause of action. Here, the appellate term concluded that the controlled substance charge was jurisdictionally invalid and reversed the judgment of conviction and sentence based on defendant's plea to that charge. Contrary to the people's contention, it was proper for the court to reverse without considering whether a separate charge in the misdemeanor complaint was valid. The validity of a separate charge does not cure the invalid charge to which defendant pleaded guilty. Defendant did not claim that the misdemeanor complaint, as a whole, was so deficient that criminal court had failed to acquire control over his person at arraignment and could not commence a criminal action against him. Consequently, I cannot agree with the people that defendant's challenge to the misdemeanor complaint may be rebutted by showing that one of the charges against him was sufficiently pleaded. The people rely on People v. Kaiser, in which this court held that no jurisdictional defect occurs when a defendant charged by misdemeanor complaint pleads guilty to a lesser crime that is neither charged in the complaint nor included as a lesser included offense for purposes of plea bargaining. The people would have us infer from Kaiser that a guilty plea is not void simply because the charge to which a defendant pleads guilty is jurisdictionally defective. Kaiser does not stand for this proposition. Unlike the defendant in the present case, defendant Kaiser raised no jurisdictional challenge under CPL 100.40 to the misdemeanor complaint by which he was charged, but rather challenged his guilty plea pursuant to CPL 220.10, asserting that criminal court had no authority to accept his plea. Point three, whereas the present appeal involves a challenge to the validity of the charges in a complaint, in Kaiser, there was no dispute that the complaint was valid, and the court framed the issue as whether criminal court's jurisdiction, validly established, was subsequently abrogated by acceptance of a guilty plea to a lesser offense not charged in the complaint. In rejecting Kaiser's argument, the court analyzed whether any statutory noncompliance in the guilty plea pursuant to Corporal 220.10 would rise to the level of a jurisdictional defect. This inquiry is not instructive with respect to the question whether facial insufficiency in a misdemeanor complaint under CPL 100.40 rises to the level of a jurisdictional defect. There is a significant difference between challenging the facial sufficiency of an accusatory instrument and attacking the validity of plea bargaining, when a defendant pleads guilty to a jurisdictionally defective charge in a misdemeanor complaint, the judgment of conviction and sentence is void. By contrast, a defendant who pleads guilty to an uncharged crime is not pleading guilty to a jurisdictionally defective instrument. The people also cite People X Rel. Ortiz v. Commissioner of NY City Department of Correction, for the proposition that an accusatory instrument is jurisdictionally valid if at least one charge is. 
Valid, Ortiz interpreted CPL 170.70, and specifically the statute's reference to a defendant who has been confined, for a period of more than five days, without any information having been filed in replacement of a misdemeanor complaint. The court held that the statute contemplated an inquiry into whether at least one count in a misdemeanor complaint has been converted. For purposes of holding the defendant in custody, the significance of Ortiz is limited to the interpretation of the words any information, to the extent Ortiz has a wider import, it is that each count of an accusatory instrument is deemed as a matter of law to be a separate and distinct accusatory instrument. I do not draw the inference that one count in an accusatory instrument may validate a separate count. A conviction by guilty plea may be challenged, notwithstanding the plea, if the charge to which the defendant pleaded guilty was jurisdictionally defective. Whether another charge in the accusatory instrument was sufficient is immaterial. Consequently, the appellate term properly reversed the judgment of conviction and sentence upon its ruling that the charge to which defendant pleaded guilty was jurisdictionally defective. IV In light of my rejection of the people's contention that the jurisdictionally defective charge of conviction can be cured by the validity of another count, I would not decide whether the criminal possession of marijuana charge was adequately pleaded. Order affirmed, in a memorandum. Chief Judge DiFiori and Judges Rivera, Fahey and Wilson concur, Chief Judge DiFiori in a concurring opinion in which Judge Wilson concurs and Judge Fahey in a concurring opinion in which Judge Rivera concurs. Judge Stein dissents in an opinion in which Judges Garcia and Feynman concur. Decision podcasts by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by Voice Pods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at NIPT Law. www.nypti.org slash law.